You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. If you'll take your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 23 is where we will start tonight, Jeremiah 23. And as we uh, get into this chapter, I want to remind you, uh, last week we concluded with the judgment that God pronounced against uh, Jehoiachin, uh, another name for Jehoiachin was Jeconiah or Coniah. And remember last week, uh, I don't know, I hope you understood it, I hope it made sense, but when I got home last night, my wife didn't say anything about it, I just was thinking about it, I thought, I hope I made that clear um, how all that worked, but remember how God judged him and he was in the line of the kings. And God had promised David that from David's line, there would come the Messiah, there would come the king of kings. And so uh, uh, the judgment came against Coniah. But you would think that, that, that man messed up God's plan. But aren't you glad our God is a whole lot bigger and a whole lot stronger and a whole lot wiser than we are? And God's plans do not get messed up by us. And God had a plan and God used not Solomon, who was David's son, who became the king, but God used one of David's sons, Nathan. And through that line, it went all the way to Mary. And by the way, it had to go to Mary because Mary was the mother of Jesus. Joseph, his lineage went back through the kings, but Joseph was not the father. He was the father figure. But, but Jesus, his father is God Almighty. And Jesus is the son of God. And so God's promise was still fulfilled and God's promise still came to pass in spite of man's failures and man's shortcomings. Uh, you look at the mess that we make sometimes and you think, what in the world can God do with this? He can do a lot. Look at how he made everything. He took uh, man, he made man out of the dust of the ground. All he needed was some dirt to make us. How did God make everything else? Just spoke it into existence. Uh, God doesn't need us. God's not limited by our failures or, or our sin or our backsliddenness or whatever. God's plan uh, still marches on. I'm glad for the promises of God and I'm glad for God's plan. So that was how we left things last week, that the curse was made to Coniah and to his seed. Now we get to chapter 23, verse 1. The Bible says, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the, what's the next word? Sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my, what's that word? People. Verse 1, it was sheep. Verse 2, it's people. Ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Now, there's a lot we could say about shepherds and sheep. God promised David that from his line there would come a king and David as a boy was a shepherd. 
and Jesus, the fulfillment of that prophecy came. And Jesus, when John the Baptist saw him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Also, we see in this passage, we see that the pastors, uh, when pastor is another name for shepherd, it's the, it's the same meaning, but the pastors here, God had appointed them in Judah. Now, hang on. The word pastor is found. Would you like to guess how many verses in the Bible you find the word pastor? Anybody want to take a guess? It's not very many. It's found one time in the New Testament. It's found in the book of Ephesians. It's found eight times in the Old Testament, and every time is found in the book of Jeremiah. Here's why. In the New Testament, that word pastor, it still means shepherd, but it's the pastor of a local church. And in the New Testament, you'll find uh, the name bishop, you'll find the name elder, you'll find the name overseer, you'll find the name pastor, and those are different names for to describe the position of the pastor. Now, we use that term all the time. I've, we've talked about my pastors growing up and the pastor of a church, but here, this was not the church age. They did not have a local assembly of believers like what we have today in the New Testament age. This was a reference to the shepherds the leaders, those who were in charge, those who ruled, it could have been a king, it could have been a governor, it could have been a prince. In some cases, it was spiritual leaders who were supposed to shepherd or to take care of the flock of God. But we find here that the pastors, the leaders, the Bible says in verse 2 that they had scattered the flock and driven them away. Now, that doesn't sound like something a shepherd's supposed to be doing, right? The shepherd should probably not be chasing away the sheep. The shepherd should probably be taking care of them. And so God has a problem with that, verse 2. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Verse 3, and I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whither I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Now this is so good. The last chapter we see that God cursed the line of Coniah and the very next message that Jeremiah preaches, he said, I want to remind you that God's promise to David still stands. God doesn't break his promise. God doesn't forget what he said. God doesn't get things mixed up. He doesn't misplace important information. God makes a promise and he keeps it. And he said unto David, there will be a righteous Branch. Now that word branch, that letter B is capitalized. How come? Because that is a reference to Jesus Christ who is coming, uh, who will come uh, uh, out of uh, a rod of Jesse will, will spring up and a root out of David will come. And from that will come a branch. Notice verse number five, a righteous branch and a king, capital K. Not like uh, Jehoahaz, not like Jehoiakim, not like Jehoiachin, not like Zedekiah, 
not like these bunch of wicked rascals that Judah had had for king, but there's coming a righteous king. There is coming a king that shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. Now, right now, they're not experiencing peace and safety. Right now, they're experiencing the Babylonian invasion. They're experiencing the Babylonian captivity. But uh, Jeremiah reminds the people, he says, there is coming a day when you're going to have a king and we're going to have a king and that king is going to keep his people safe and secure. Hallelujah for that. Verse number six, and this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. That is the name Jehovah Sidkenu, which literally means the Lord, our righteousness. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. Help us to uh, be helped and encouraged tonight. I pray that you'd speak to us from your precious holy word. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. I want to give you an outline. We won't get through all of it tonight, not even close, but I want you to kind of see where we're going as we are talking about and we're talking to the pastors. We're talking to the leaders. And throughout this chapter, Jeremiah references the pastors, the shepherds, and how they had dropped the ball. Now, please don't think tonight that the only person in here that needs the message is this pastor right here. Now, I know I need it, okay? But do you understand God gives all of us the opportunity and he gives us the privilege to shepherd people? I look around this auditorium and there are so many of you who you are a shepherd, whether it's a Sunday school class, whether it's a bus route, whether it's a master club, whether it's a junior church, whether it's a nursery. Uh, some of you, you shepherd, you're a school teacher. Uh, you are a manager. You are a supervisor at the workplace and God has entrusted people in your care. Now, you may not get up at work and you may not teach and preach the Bible like that, but can I tell you, you have the privilege and you have the opportunity to help people. You have the privilege to encourage people and to influence people. And if you have that opportunity, can I tell you, don't waste it. Don't squander it. Don't misuse that opportunity, but use that opportunity for God's honor and glory. Number one, we see about the pastors and about the leaders, we see the problem. It's found beginning in verse number one, and we'll look at it throughout this chapter, but it says, whoa. Now that's not whoa, like, wow, this is exciting. That is, uh-oh, somebody's in trouble. That is, judgment's coming. That is, something bad is going to happen. That was like, uh, that was like the, the key phrases that I used to hear growing up. And of course, I wasn't usually the one getting in trouble, but you know, it was my sister. Um, well, Julie didn't get in that much trouble, but Jennifer, we'll talk about her since she's out. But when dad would say things like, all right, meet me in my room, <laughs> that was not a good meeting. And especially when dad started calling off the names and there was, there's, there's, there's seven of us. We, I wasn't still in the home when Jared was born because there's 19 years between us. But when he would say, and I, again, I didn't get in a lot of trouble, but every once in a great while I'd, I'd hear my name called, but he'd say, Jeremy, Julie, Joel, Jill, meet me in my room. You say, well, what's wrong with that? A lot, <laughs> because we knew what that meant. That meant judgment was coming. That meant somebody was getting in trouble. 
And in case you need interpretation, that did not mean time out. That did not mean that we were going to discuss it and we were going to, you know, have our little opportunity to vent and all that. Oh no, that time was over. This was, this was time for judgment. And God is getting the attention of these leaders and he says, whoa, you're in trouble. You have dropped the ball. I have made you responsible for people and I've made you responsible for the flock. And you, verse number one, you have not helped the flock. You have destroyed it. You have scattered the sheep of, God says, my pasture. Can I tell you who the, the, the real shepherd is? It's God. That's why it says we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. First Peter tells us Jesus is the chief shepherd. And anybody that God has entrusted in our care, we're not the one in charge. We are the under shepherd. We are the ones who God has given us the responsibility because they are his people. But we see, number one, the problem. The problem was that the pastors, the leaders, were destroying and scattering the sheep. Now, I think we need to, I think we need to step back and take a look at this because nobody in their right mind has that intention. Nobody in their right mind says, I'm going to be a Sunday school teacher. I'm going to be a children's church worker. I'm going to be a bus worker. Um, I'm going to be a pastor or I'm going to be an assistant pastor or I'm going to do something and I'm going to see how many people I can hurt. Nobody has that intention. And by the way, if, if that's ever your intention, you need to get saved, first of all. Can I tell you, when, when, when you have an opportunity to help somebody, you want to help them. You don't want to hurt them. Satan's doing a good job of hurting people. Satan's destroying and he's, he's, he's having a field day. Can I tell you, our job is to help people. So nobody sets out, I'm going to see who I can hurt. I'm going to see who I can offend. I'm going to see who I can drive away. We don't have that intention. But sometimes we're guilty of it because, one, because we're too prideful. Sometimes we won't admit that we made a mistake. You say, do pastors make mistakes? <laughs> If you, if you had any idea, of course they do. You know why? Because they're human. Uh, do, do bosses at work make mistakes? Do parents make mistakes? Oh, yeah. Do teachers make mistakes? Do doctors make mistakes? Um, we've got a couple lawyers over here. Do lawyers? Well, no, Melissa doesn't. Thomas, you know, well, you know, 50-50 there. But can I tell you, we all make mistakes. But sometimes... It's because of our pride. We won't admit when we're wrong. We won't ask forgiveness. We won't seek to, to, to right the wrong. Sometimes it's because of pride. Sometimes it's because of selfishness. You know why sometimes people are driven away? It's because it becomes all about us. It becomes all about uh, what I can get or what I can gain. And, and I'll say this, God's people have been so good to me and my family and to our staff but can I tell you, if you talk to Brother Dan or you talk to Brother Nathan, Brother Caleb, if you talk to any of us, I'll promise you this. None of us decided to be pastors because we thought, well, we're going to get rich. Can I tell you why we decided to be pastors? It's because God put a burden in our heart. 
and a desire to help people and a desire to make a difference. And if you are in any kind of ministry or any kind of capacity, it ought to be your desire to say, I want to help. I want to make a difference. But the problem is that they were scattering the sheep. They were destroying the very flock that God had entrusted them with. You say, well, who, who are we talking about here? Well, these kings of Judah that wouldn't listen to God, the leaders of the day, the false prophets of the day, they were the problem. I want you to notice number two, the purpose. Verse number two, therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. They were supposed to feed them. It says in verse number two, you have scattered my, drock, uh, my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. That word visit, it means to attend to. They were supposed to be caring for the needs of the people and all they were doing was caring for their own needs. These pastors, the problem was that they were not fulfilling their purpose. They were supposed to feed the sheep. Can I tell you what that food is? That food that God has given us as spiritual shepherds to feed the flock is the word of God. And I'm thankful for the, the shepherds in our church who stand up in a Sunday school class every week and teach the Word of God. I'm thankful for those who will teach the Bible. I'm thank you, thankful for the nursery workers who will love those children and pray for those children and, and serve those children. Can I tell you, we are commanded to feed the flock, the, the food, the, the, the meat of the Word of God, the milk of the Word is our purpose, to feed the sheep. I'm not a farmer, obviously, but uh, if I were a farmer and you came by and you came by to see my flock, you came by to see the, uh, the, the, the sheep or the cattle, and you said, well, what's, what's the problem here? These animals are dying. These animals, they're, they're starving. I say, oh, was I supposed to feed them? Oh, man, I forgot about that. Well, can I tell you, we're supposed to feed the flock. We're supposed to feed God's people. And by, and by the way, some people have to be spoon-fed for a while. Some are babes in Christ. Some, all they can handle is the milk. But can I tell you, that's why, you ready for this? And I know I'm preaching to the choir. That's why we have Wednesday night church. Because we need a lot of spiritual food to grow. We need Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And we need Sunday school classes and we need junior churches. And we need those times to feed. And that's not the only time a Christian ought to get spiritual food. A Christian ought to get spiritual food on Monday, whether it be in the morning or the evening or whenever you have your Bible time. A Christian ought to get spiritual food on Tuesday and, and Wednesday morning and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and, and Sunday ought to be a time you get with God. If the only time you eat is at church, you're going to be a weak Christian because the Bible must be in us. We sang that song more about Jesus. Well, we, we, our minds get filled with the world and our minds get filled with the philosophy of this world, but our lives and our hearts and our minds must be filled with the Word of God. That's the purpose of the shepherd, to help in feeding and to, to teach God's people how to study the Bible, to teach God's people to memorize the Bible and to meditate on it and to apply it. That's the job of a shepherd. Number three, I see the punishment. It says in verse number two, ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, God says, I will visit upon you 
the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Now, I'll tell you what, we are all responsible to God. Would you agree with that statement? We all will give an account to God, right? But can I tell you, to whom much is given, much is required. You know who is going to be required more when they stand before God? It's not the new Christian that's been saved a short time. It's going to be the pastor who's been standing and preaching and teaching. It's going to be the Sunday school teacher. It's going to be the parent who has had the opportunity to teach their children the Word of God. It's going to be the grandparent who's, who, who's been to church and been in class and been, been soaking up the Bible for so long. And to whom much has been given, much is required. I think we ought to be sponges. I think we ought to come to church and soak it up. But you can't just soak it up and let it sit. you got to give it out. You got to share it. That's why we have ministry opportunities. That's why we have uh, uh, ministries all throughout this church and so on. That's why we ought to be a witness everywhere we go because people need the Lord. As we heard sung tonight, there's a punishment. God said that he would visit them for their evil. And that's not a good visit, by the way, when God shows up for judgment. Number four, I see the promise. Would you notice in verse number three, God says, and I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries whither uh, I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds. Now that's a good place to be. It's a good place for the sheep to be in the fold that God has prepared for you. And uh, I hope you don't get outside that fold. I hope you don't try to run from him and hope you don't try to buck him. I hope you're, you're happy where God has put you. I hope you'll try to be as close to God as you can. But he says that I'll bring them into their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. Verse four, and I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Here's the job of a shepherd of verse four is to feed the flock. But then it says this, and they shall fear no more. You know what we ought to do as God's people? We ought to encourage people to not be fearful, but to have great faith. We ought to be the, we ought to be the most positive people on the planet. Now, I, if you've ever had a teacher like this here, please don't tell me this. I don't know of anybody like this. But in your life, have you ever had a, a teacher uh, or a boss or a supervisor who they were always depressed. And the more you got around them, the more you were depressed. That, that just, it doesn't breed a lot of confidence, does it? When you're going to the class and you're thinking, oh great, and this poor teacher, <laughs> this poor teacher's already depressed and they're the ones supposed to be helping me. Can I tell you, God's people, we ought to be not fearful, but we ought to have courage. We ought to have faith. We ought to believe God. And the shepherds should not be instilling fear, but the shepherds should instill faith. Notice what else it says. They shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. That means to be discouraged. Shepherds ought to encourage people. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you're a worker, or you're a supervisor, or you oversee a ministry... When people come to your ministry, they ought to be encouraged. You say, well, pastor, haven't you seen the news lately? Well, yeah, everybody's seen the news, but we're not coming to class to hear about the news. There's enough of that. 
we're coming to class to hear what the Bible says, and we're coming to church to hear what God says, and we're coming to church to be encouraged because there is hope in God. There may not be a lot of hope other places, but all that stuff, it's irrelevant. You know what matters is what God says. What matters is what the Bible has to say. Nor, not to be afraid, not fearful, nor be dismayed, verse number four, neither shall they be lacking. That word lacking, it means to have a short supply. Now, hang on. If you're running short on your supply, if I'm running short on my supply, guess whose fault that is? It's ours. Because my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And you know what the shepherd does? The shepherd takes the supply that he gets from God and gives it to the sheep. And then he takes the supply he gets and he gives it to the sheep. And the sheep are never lacking supply because there is a bountiful supply with God. I'm glad that when I am with God and when I'm in God's presence, I'm never lacking. There's always joy. There's always contentment. There's always peace. There's always provision when I'm in the presence of God. And God's promise is that he will take care of his people. Hallelujah for that. Notice verse number five. Here is another promise. It's a reminder. It's a reinforcement of God's promise. The Davidic covenant. We talked about that at the beginning. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of uh, Coniah's sin, God said he would raise up a righteous branch. That word branch, and you know, when I think of a branch, I think of you got the, you got the roots and you got the trunk and you got a, a little branch coming out. That's not what that means. That literally is talking about a root or a sprout that is coming out of the ground. Something that is solid, something that is alive, something that is growing. And can I tell you, God's promise to his people was that there was life coming up. It looked like the tree had got cut down. It looked like the kingdom was coming to an end. It looked like there was no hope for Judah because they were going into captivity. But God said, hang on, wait a second. There's a root that's coming up. And that tree may look dead and it may look hopeless and it may look like nothing good's coming out of it, but I am not finished with my people yet. And aren't you glad that as long as God is in the equation, there is always hope. Maybe you, your, your tree has been cut down. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a family situation you're going through. And you, it's, it's hopeless. There, there's, no, there's no way this can work. Oh, hang on. It may look hopeless, but if God is in the equation, there is hope. And God promises his people there would be a branch, there would be a sprout that would come out. And this tree may have been cut down, but there was a root. And from that root, there would come a glorious tree. There would come a Messiah. There would come a king. I'll close with this. I want to encourage us as Christians, as God's people. If Jesus is the branch, if he is the root, we better stay connected to the root. We better stay connected to the source. In John 15, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He said, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. 
That's the idea of a tree, right? That's the idea of a plant. You want some fruit from it. But then Jesus told his disciples, he said, and without me, ye can do nothing. If Jesus is the branch, if Jesus is the root, if he is the life, if he is the one who supplies us with the nutrients, if he's the one that lets us be fruitful, I think we ought to stay connected to the root. Jeremiah chapter 33, turn there with me if you would. We see that the promise of the branch the Messiah who is coming, the righteous branch, the, the king who will, uh, who will rule and who will reign. But Jeremiah 33, verse number 15, we see another reference in those days. And at that time, will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely, and this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Now here's what it says, that this branch is going to grow up, and this branch is going to execute judgment and righteousness in the land. Now that may not seem significant to us, but to God's people, that was very significant because that was a prophecy of the millennial reign of Christ where Jesus himself, the Messiah himself, will sit on the throne in Jerusalem. And again, at the time of this writing, things are caving in. At the time of this prophecy, things are falling apart. And Jeremiah says, there's coming a king, he's going to rule in righteousness and judgment, which was very foreign to what they were experiencing in that day. But there's coming a king, and he's going to execute judgment and righteousness in this land. You say, well, when's that going to happen? Well, the next event that we're waiting on and that we're looking for is the rapture. It's when the trumpet sounds. When that trumpet sounds, we're out of here and we will be in heaven. There will be the judgment seat of Christ. There will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Meanwhile, on the earth, there will be seven years of tribulation. At the end of that tribulation, there will be the battle of Armageddon. And we hear about it and we, 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 we read prophecy about it. You've heard messages about it. That battle of Armageddon is like nothing this world has ever seen. You say, well, how come? Because at that time, all of the armies of the world are coming together to battle. But at that time, Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, all of the armies of the world, they put their focus and their attention on Jesus, and they decide to unite and fight against him. Now, can I tell you, if there was ever a bad decision, that's it right there. Because the one that spoke the worlds into existence, he's not worried about any uh, fighter jets. He's not worried about any missiles. He's not worried about any guns. He will only have to open his mouth and defeat the armies of the world at the Battle of Armageddon. And following that battle, Jesus himself, and we will come back with him. Jesus will rule and reign 
in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem, he'll rule over the entire earth for 1,000 years. You say, well, why? Because that was a promise that he made to David. And that was a promise that he made to his people. And he always keeps his promise. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.